Creativity is an extension of the human experience. This wild, boundless seascape has been our anchor for our friendship and our sanity. This podcast is an exploration between friends, storytelling, and artistic expression. In this chapter, we are exploring our identity through sharing some of our all-time favorite songs and how those songs shaped our lives. (laughs) Come with us in our curved quartz stalagmite bowl that is a time machine which, of course, drops glitter everywhere it goes. Ruto, what sound does it make? (laughs) 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 This time machine will take us on a journey to key points in our development through the lens of our musical experiences. We will visit childhood, our teenage years, our early adulthood, and now, with room at the end for some of our stories and um, reflection on the whole process. We will reflect on a total of nine songs, three for each phase of life we have identified. I think that makes 12, actually. We got the... Did we get the number wrong? (laughs) That doesn't surprise me at all. Our reflections will be framed within the following core questions in a fluid manner. In general, what's the year when the song is happening? What's the date? What were we doing? Where were we? Where are we? How did it define us? And why did we choose it now? As a final treat to you, we will have a link to a delicious playlist um, that Ruto painstakingly curated because everything was so different. Um, She used her superior skills of melding dissonance into harmony so that you can listen to our eras of life combined. And I feel certain you'll find some of yourself in that list too. Mm. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, I'm going to share this reflection I wrote um, when we were uh, going through the process of planning for this. Um, Music is a really personal experience. I think that's something that we already knew, but came to more clearly in this process. I feel excited and frustrated already that people might not feel the same intensity and connections I do with the songs I'll be talking about. But isn't that the way? Like, it's always been that way whenever you share music with each other. And, um, but that's what makes this episode so amazing. We're talking about this insular and psychedelic relationship with music. We've made each other many mixes and lovers we've had and people we've loved have made us mixes, hoping the other person will understand and feel it like you. Sometimes it hits the mark. But always, playlists are truly inner universe. Like they're really core to you. At least that's my experience. That being said, when we did this together, co creating this, it was transformative because we joined our unique tastes and musical eras into one. Um, hearing it together for the first time, it's a deeper way of understanding another person. And I'm considering doing it with other people I love. You're taking the guesswork out. I would call it an active playlist, a way of translating emotional musical feelings with and for each other. We also Mm -hmm. limited ourselves, which was super hard, Mm -hmm. but made for a more meaningful experience and was tempered by the fact, at least for me, that there were things I didn't get in, but that you put in that were important that I wanted there anyway. Um, Forget the mixtape, made in isolation for that person, hoping they'll get it. Make one together and share your story for each song. 
that will break the language barrier. Um, and so it's like, we're always like making these secret mixes, hoping people will get it. Maybe we should be making them together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so easy now. Spotify makes it so easy. It does. It does. So yeah, we spent time um, choosing our three songs for each decade or not decade, each era. And we are going to kind of speak on each grouping and alternate each era of our lives. So I'm going to, if that's okay, start by asking you to share with us your first three songs from childhood Mm -hmm. and thinking about once again, those loosely, those questions, what's the year, what's the date, what were you doing? How did it define you? And why did you choose it now? Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So me going first does not uh, belie that the order of the playlist is uh, your first song. So number two in our playlist is my first childhood song in the court of King Oliver by Wynton Marsalis. Now, when we knew we were going to do an anthology biography type musical catalog, I knew that I was going to have to have this song in here because it is fundamental to understanding what I was doing and what I was listening to as a child. I, um, it sounds weird to use this term thrashed (laughs) this album (laughs) because it's like such a beautiful, elegant jazz album. Um, and Wynton Marcellus is the most elegant of, uh, musicians, but, um, the, uh, sentiment that I'm trying to relay is that I went ape on this album. I played it over and over and over and over again. And my parents had a, uh, I think it was a six CD um, player. And so I had like all of my favorite CDs prepped and ready to go and what I would do and why I have this album. In the 90s when I was growing up, I guess late 80s as well, I would dance by myself or with others. So for me, the when or what year, it's sort of all of the 90s, but especially the winter holidays in Florida. And I would play this album, I would play this song for myself and I would, I would dance to it all the time. And then when it came to um, wintering in Florida to visit my dad's parents, I would get to hang out with my cousin who was the same age as me. And because I was an only child for so much of my um, growing up, it was really special to have a cousin that was like akin to a sister. And we would write plays together and we would perform things together. And this song is one of those things that we choreographed. So I had plenty of like very flowy channeling dances to the song, but then I also actually choreographed a contemporary dance piece to the song. That's amazing. And how old were you? Oh, hard to say. Hard to say. Um, I don't think my sister was born yet, so I would be um, eight, seven in that range. (laughs) Maybe you already said this, but what was it about that sound that inspired you to be dancing to that? Like, What can you explain or is it hard to explain? I think jazz of this particular type feels very narrative and very open book. So dance, you know, especially as a little kid, when you're not even really thinking about form, you're just thinking about the story your body is telling you. And so the music is that it's like a perfect prompt. It stabilizes or validates in, you know, the intuitive moves you're about to do or have done. And it helps you tell a story. 
and like childhood is very much all couched within a story. It feels like that's all you're doing is playing out stories. So that's why. And for me, like the song itself represents how I commune or channel with music. That's how I see it. That's so cool. And I wonder, do you think the fact that there's no words or lyrics in it kind of adds to that ability to really like connect with it in a nonverbal way? Yeah, you go real deep. Mm. And then the second song is just about joy and actually connection to my roots. So the second song I chose was Diamond on the Soles of Her Shoes, which again is another song I knew I was going to have to have. I think it's easier to, to be really firm about my childhood songs because you've got so much time to reflect on it. It's been a while. So, and it just feels like quite concrete what I needed in that era. And for me, Paul Simon and that album was just an exaltation of songwriting and joy and liveliness. It was just alive. And I felt so good when we played it. But also, um, I was born in Africa. I was born in Zimbabwe. So hearing Ladysmith Black Mombazo on that album, on a, you know, like an American pop album was just like phenomenal to me. And I certainly wouldn't have grasped how phenomenal that was, but it felt truly, truly special to hear these rich, magical African voices. These choral arrangements were just phenomenal. And the way that they would add so much extra layers into his tracks, into his songwriting. So like Paul Simon's such a good storyteller, but also here, here was the kind of spirit of Africa. I'm being over really romantic, but it's morning for me. So I am romantic in the morning. (laughs) It felt like here was the spirit coming at me, you know, and I felt, I felt like, I guess, home in some way. I need to, if that's if it's okay, I need to add on to this because the thing is, this album is part of our connection as friends in the beginning. I don't know if you realize you realize that, right? I mean, we connected over that album. I remember. Sure. Yeah. Many people have been deeply touched by this, but that's for true of us as well. And for me, at least for me, I didn't have anyone else who would feel that way about that album. I also grew up. That was a close. When I saw you were putting it on there, I was like, okay, I'm going to let her have that because I wanted something from that on there because I also grew up with that. Um, my parents had it on VHS, the live concert, and it was oh, wow. on all the time. And I would watch it. I would watch the recording of the performance in Africa on TV all the time. And it is also when you describe it as pure joy. That's also an alive. That's what I would describe it as. I had no context or connection like you do with Africa, but I, it brought, it made me happy. And I grew up hearing it so much that I know every lyric on every song of that album. So it's like, there's only one other person in my life who loves it as much as you and me. And that's my friend, Micah. And we talk about it in this loving way because we both grew up with it. And I think it's a beautiful thing to grow up with. And if I ever had children, I would make sure they heard it because it's just like you said, an exaltation. It's beautiful. So it came out in 1986. So Mm -hmm. I was three years old when this album came out and I'm pretty sure it was the first cassette my parents bought specifically for me. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of me being in the car, a lot of road trips um, and you know, definitely I would have been able to navigate my own little cassette player in my room as well. So I remember 
you know, being able to press play myself, which is quite a great thing to do as a kid. And, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's that song for me, Mm -hmm. a foundational aspect to me, both in the term of like the meeting of two worlds, but also just how much joy and, and how, how delightful of a storytelling epic that whole album is, but certainly that song, there's so many amazing lines in that song. Such a beautiful album and as, as a whole. Mm. So enjoy, dear listener, when you get to the playlist, enjoy. <laughs> yes. And my last song from childhood that I needed to have was a Leo Kotke song. And for me, up tempo. Um, I think the year for me when I hear the song is like 92, 94. Um, my sister really responded very strongly to this um, album and she would have been a baby. She, um, and I just remember that being something that we could, that that bonded us immediately in terms of our relationship around music, which has been consistent as well for me and her. We're so far apart age-wise, but music was just something that, you know, how sometimes it's really hard to like receive something from a family member or to be told something by a family member, but music yes. recommendations was just incredibly easy. And I, I see my old house in Kentucky. When I hear this music, I, he, I see us dancing naked. There's a lot of naked dancing and late naked babies <laughs> memories in my, in my life. And just the joy and pow, the power of his guitar style is really impressive. Like you don't usually think of an acoustic, you know, steel or nylon string guitar being like, you're like, wow, that's powerful. But it was, it was so, it, it, and it, it evoked emotion immediately. Like you hear Leo Kaki's music and you're immediately moved. He's a very, very powerful man. So I think for me, it symbolizes um, guitar being a central instrument in my life and my love. And I also feel like it, it laid out so perfectly with the other pieces of work that we did. Like I think being able to um, curate the end result of our playlist, it was so much fun to see how perfectly um, your, one of your childhood picks landed with this one because um Billy Joel comes right before Leo Kaki. And I feel like that's really interesting and really creative. Well done. Can you, can, can you elaborate more on that? I'm fascinated. Why um, that connection? Can you? No, Billy Joel? Okay. no, I think it's just more about the, those are two really powerful songs. They are. Um, uh, but the Billy Joel one has like an atmospheric power and presence, you know, it's got like, you know, a big, sound to it with lots of instruments and lots of synth. Whereas Leo Kaki, it's just him and his guitar, but they're both equally powerful. Yeah. I love it. And they were both really impressive men are really impressive men. Mm-hmm. I no, there part. wasn't any kind of secret um, connection. I was like, I, you know, more? Right. I was like digging. <laughs> no, it's fine. So like, if you were going to sum up childhood and music um, before we move into mine, uh, is there any, are there any words or colors or descriptions that you would kind of add to what you'd already said, or do you feel good? Uh, yeah, just the joy of it. You know, music being a source of joy and movement and power. Yeah. Nice. And, um, 
I am, I am really interested in generationally because our ages are pretty close that in some ways there are some connections with the things we chose um, just because of like the things that are around at that time mm-hmm. and how, and how you end up connect. I just think that's cool. Like, and we had similar parentage in the term we did. of like, they're both, you know, part of like a full kippy mu- movement. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So my three, um, so I started with, so for any for anyone who knows, I hope the Disney Robin Hood. Um, I think it was made in the seventies. It's uh, the best soundtrack ever. <laughs> um, it's and anyone I know who's my age around my age knows what I'm talking about. And um, I watched it all the time. And I was like poking around, and I found the first song. And apparently, it's called "Whistle Stop" by Roger Miller. I didn't even know the name, and it's 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 joy like it's joy it's whimsy it's me growing up in the forest um it links i I grew up mostly in the woods and in a very rural area so i remember sitting in my house in the country with that on the tv Mm -hmm. and the music like i was around a lot of folk bluegrass music that was my family like there's a lot of music playing in my house and i think of the woods that I went to and this like, for some reason, this chair made of stone. It looked like a chair. It was stone, but it was a chair and it had moss on it. And I just think of Robin Hood, that movie. And the music is so comforting. Um, I just think it's formatively a part of my inner world and how it feels and how I want to feel. Mm. It's my home. And that the visuals of that film were beautiful and influential for me, I think, as an artist later. So it was interesting to me that I chose a piece from a film. Um, and it's the feeling of that movie, not so much the story. I mean, the story is fun. But yeah, so that's just a whimsical, fun, childhood, comforting uh, piece that links to my environment. And then um, I, classical music was a huge part of my upbringing. And so when you were talking about Wynton Marsalis, I, I was thinking music without words. And so a lot of times I'd be hearing music without words and I would make up stories in my head while I was in the car. I'd be on some adventure in my mind doing stuff to the music. It was like a full on music video in there. And, um, I would just make up stories in my head. And, uh, so I wanted to kind of bring in winter and Yule time. And so there's mm. artist George Winston because Yule time was like my favorite time and it still is. And George Winston um, is this piano player and he did the Holly and the Ivy and it's all piano. Yeah. And, I had a George Winston album too. Yep. He has two albums that are just transformative and otherworldly mm-hmm. Forest and December. This one is off December. And it could totally draw, like, cross that line of Muzak, but it doesn't. Um, it has something about it. And so um, this particular song just represented the magic of that time of year, winter, the woods, the quiet of the snow, going to get a Christmas tree. That really was my favorite time of year. It was It's a part of who I am now. It's still, like, I put effort into experiencing that every year. It's extremely important to me. And I think that's partly my childhood and what it was like for me when I was little, really young. I was raised on this album. And so 
George Winston is the perfect sound for that kind of day of like going out and getting that tree and drinking hot chocolate and making cookies. And, but it also, as I've gotten older, um, it deepens the magical experience of Yule for me because it's not religious for me. It's not um, church related. It's the magic of winter solstice, that quiet, insular, um, mysterious feeling that that time of year evokes. Mm. And that's a huge part of me. He writes myth with sound. Mm. That's what I that's what I wrote. And his version of this song is really layered and translucent. And he really did affect me. And I still listen to him now if I want to be transported or meditative or in my inner world. So he is a huge and, and that held the spot for classical music for me because there were many pieces I could have chosen. But I think his work really affected me. Yes. And uh, the third piece was Billy Joel um, off of the album Stormfront. I remember the cassette tape. And uh, the song is Down Easter Alexa. And I was raised up until fifth grade in the woods. And then the rest of my teenage years, and this is still preteen, this is still childhood, but um, I was on Long Island. And Billy Joel is a bard of Long Island. Um, he's the storyteller of Long Island. He's the voice of the island. I, I I feel like that's romantic, but it's true. And I didn't know this at the time, but like kind of like with Graceland, with pa- Paul Simon, and with your experience with um, Leo Kotke, like um, this was on in the car all the time. Um, my parents played it. I think we had the live concert on PHS um, and it just infused into me. And I also had visions in my head from his music because he was a storyteller and he would tell stories and you could see them in your mind. And as I got older, I started understanding more of why. And now that I'm into these ideas of myth and story and the fabric of life, I realized he's a modern day bard breathing life into stories of place. So he was telling stories about Long Island, very specific to Long Island a lot of the time. And that song, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I did look into it and it is about like the fishing, um, commercial fishing, fishing industry on the island. And you listen to the lyrics and the story tells you what's going on. And it's, um, it's powerful. It's a mystical, again, like this theme of mystical and magical and like um, mysteriousness, like all, all of the music I chose kind of, I think has that thread in it. Um, but this is a formative piece. So it would explain that thread. And so that's why I chose it for my childhood that I was raised on this storytelling, um, person, this musician. And the amazing thing is now he's writing classical music and, um, yeah, he's been writing classical music and it's really awesome. And, um, his voice is just so rich and so, yes, you Those really my- nailed it when you said bard. Yeah. He is such a bard. Yeah. And I made a note about bards. Um, I said, I didn't know anything about bards then, but he taught me about them by doing what he does, writing songs about his environment, local stories. We think about them as like medieval singers. Like the first time I thought about a bard, it was like playing video games. Um, but it's basically just someone who's taking like in The Witcher like taking the, the epic things that are happening and turning them into story and sharing them with people. And I don't even know if he, he must realize it, but that's a very powerful role to have in society. And he's, 
I don't want to say culty because I don't like cults, but it's like he has that power on the island. If you grow up there or you live there, everyone knows him. And all my friends in high school and we all loved him. Like you just kind of, no matter what generation you were, you connected with Billy Joel. So yeah, I love that. part of my childhood. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I claim New York, but I don't have that same feeling, <laughs> um, which shows that I was brought up in the Appalachians. <laughs> I got my own relationships. But that's the cool part about this is this is the fabric of you and like where the music comes from. And that was the fabric of where I lived. Yep. It's cool. Powerful. Oh, yummy, 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 yummy. So that's our childhood in song form. And now we're like, let's transition to teenager time. (laughs) An amazing sound. And that's exactly what it would sound like. (laughs) Teenage me would be really upset about the glitter, like really angry. That's really upsetting because teenage me was like, that was my glitter birth. So this is when I became like a really angry vegan. So like back, back <laughs> then we that. didn't have back then we didn't have bio glitter. So I would have been like, this is fucking plastic. What the fuck is going on here? Why is there floating <laughs> stalagmite in the air? And I would have been totally okay because our time <laughs> machine is so beautiful. That's so funny. Yeah. I did not know. I was throwing glitter at everyone at that point. We would not have been okay. Mm-mm. I'm glad I missed there, that face. We would have been a showdown. <laughs> You think I'm stubborn now? Oh, anyways, so that's hilarious. Teenage, teenage dumb. Um, again, you got to set the tone with your intro into teenage dumb, which is Jethro Tull, which is fucking badass. That was my. I claim badass to that. Yep, I'm proud. Yeah, and I was like, okay, okay, how, uh, how am I gonna fit? And I think the teenage bit is where I start um, sort of not worrying too much about what song or what artist. Um, There were some definites, but also kind of like here was when I was trying to blend creatively with you as well. Mm. Um, Having said that, um, it's 100% authentic. It's me. I'm not like just choosing songs out of the air here or artists out of the air. Like the Beatles coming after Jethro Tull like makes so much sense to me. It did. Um, and I knew that I would have to have Beatles because like from the time that I was 12 or 11 up until like 13, 14, 15, 16, I, the Beatles were so important to me. So important. I became a deep subject matter expert in their music, in their lives. I read all the things about them. I collected as much as I possibly could around the mythology of them, their songwriting styles, their relationships and their impact. So I was, um, so when I do come together, that's me in the nineties, I'm 13. Um, I am pretending that I'm with them. I'm like creating fantasies. I'm using them as soundtrack to my playtime as well. So I used to make comics and um, I had like characters. My friend Annie Rosenberg and I created characters. Um, and like we made, like, we were both artists. So we were like, and, and like creatives. So we were both like really thinking about how to tell a really good story and live through other beings. So these, these characters in the comic books weren't even, they were like anthropomorphic um, aliens. 
Anyways, so I'm using the Beatles. I'm communing with them. I'm having like sex dreams about them, but I'm also like enacting other sexy things with their music. So, I mean, hell yeah. Good job, Beatles. Um, And I don't know where I would be without them. Also, have you seen that movie where like it's like a world without the Beatles? No. It's so good. Like, did you know that the Beatles were huge for me, but in childhood, like I was obsessed with them and I was in love with Paul McCartney and I watched all the movies and like I was also big, highly researched on them. So I also had a pretty intense experience with them from a young age. I can relate. Yeah. Mine was burgeoning into my sexual awakening as well. So That's like, so amazing. That didn't, yeah, mine was pure childhood. It, it kind of phased out in my teenage years. Interesting. Yeah. I listened to them when I went to sleep. I used to, I had cassettes of, like, oh, yeah, for sure. And I would put them on and I would fall asleep to them. I love, I had posters of them in my closet and I would kiss them. Like, I was like in love with them. Isn't really that young fascinating age. that we yeah. didn't matter that they were not of our generation? Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, they were huge. I mean, I think they were a huge transformation and like a doorway to all the music we're talking about now. So, indeed, indeed. and that's why I actually felt, felt like because you put the <laughs> describe to the audience what happened to me. <laughs> you you got done with your song choices first, and I looked at the song choices that you gave me, which were for teenage years, Tom Petty, Tool, and Jeff <laughs> Buckle. So I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> It's reality though. It's amazing. Cause I needed, I really wanted like some hip hop in there and I really wanted some like soul and R and B. And I was like, I have no idea how to tell my story in relation to these other songs, which don't feel foreign to me. Cause like these are iconic artists. Yes. Um, so I felt like the Beatles and then tool felt a lot felt, really sensical because mm-hmm. you know pattern changers disruptors yeah social, social disruptors musical disruptors yes um it just made sense and then i was it like really I'm, not even, I'm not even gonna worry about how to transition out of tool like no. people are either gonna like be in that or they're like not and that's fine but like certainly for me so i chose certainly from um erica badu's um fucking masterpiece of an album baduism and you can't i can't be me without knowing how much i love her it's a it's a huge part of who i am and for me that song talks about something that is also very essential to me which is like relationships complicated relationships so what i'm doing with certainly in the late nineties, I'm brushing up against the pain of monogamy, <laughs> people making me feel like I've made some promise to them just because I said that I'm going to be their girlfriend. Like there was just so much assumption that monogamy is the only way. And so I was just constantly betraying people. Mm. Um, and I didn't have any language, you know, and I, I think about this a lot. I would go back into my teenage dumb and help her and be like, Rudo, guess what? There's this whole other world. And there's this whole, you know, the part of you that like fucking hates society. Well, guess what? Society gave you monogamy. You can, you can bunk that too. And like, but it hurt. It was very painful. And I feel like Erica Badu definitely helped me feel like, oh, there's a whisper of something else here. She's saying like, who told you that, you know? And I mean, like the fact that she was like challenging her lover to like not possess her to not fuck with her. And I was like, thank fucking Christ. 
thank you. Like I felt such freedom all of a sudden when I realized what she was talking about, this entanglement that actually wasn't working out. Like love isn't always the finding the one. It's actually mostly not finding the one. And so I just loved what that album and what her message was around messy relationships. Wow. And that's so that's so perfect for teenage years. Because mm-hmm. that's, what it, that's what it feels like. It's a mess. Yeah. And I grew up in Kentucky, which, you know, has like a really complicated relationship with um, our black community. Like it's like our heart and soul, but it's also so deeply segregated. So I think also that's like my ode to, you know, the black culture and black storytelling. Um, and definitely like empowerment of this incredible, incredible woman. Fuck. God bless you, Erica Badu. Um, and then the next song that I chose was, um, it had to be a Janis Joplin song. It just had to be. Like, if you think about what the Beatles meant, like this kind of like raw, feral, like breaking out of the, you know, sweet bow ties of the of the 50s and 60s. And then like Janis is just like taking it a step further with like, um, for me, this is like what my parents imbued in me about the 70s, that it was a time of uprising, refusing to be part of a war machine, a, a generation of people saying no, not just to their parents, but to societal norms. So, you know, my parents inspire me every day to question status quo. And, you know, Janis Joplin for me is just like this tragically beautiful creature of that era. And, you know, she's stuck in time as well, which is so interesting. And I think youth, if I'm going to get like super meta about what we're doing, we're in our teen years, you feel um, invincible. You feel immortal. And guess what? Like Janice's story tells us, no, you're not mortal. You are not mortal. I mean, immortal. You are mortal. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Yes, you do. You're saying you're not immortal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, just like the actual evoking and channeling of emotions that Janice could do. Like she was pure instrument, you know, she didn't care how she sounded. She could hit a note or not hit a note and you'd be blown to your knees. She's raw. Mm. I'm having this revelation as I'm watching this unfold and there are moods and feelings. It's like teenage years is like rage and passion and like, uh, feral energy Mm -hmm. and we both the way like the way you're speaking now is significantly different from the way you were speaking about your childhood music like it's just like there's a different energy that's coming through as you're talking about those three songs and as i'm looking at mine it's the same it's that like raw passionate despair joy like that roller coaster of hormonal you know experience of a teenager teenage years and like um I love it. It's so cool because it's like a it's like an overall feeling. Um, yeah. It's neat. Do you have any other things you want to like? No, I, thought, I feel like you were taking the baton. You were going. Okay. Go. No. I, oh, okay. Go, girl, okay. Go. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure. So, um, yes. So, yes. Jethro Tull, Tool, and Tom Petty. Um, I was laughing at that as I looked at it again because it's so funny. Um, I, but that's my experience. Like, I would say eclectic. I, I was. You know, I did make a note to say in this that, you know, my my family is complicated and I don't have great relationships 
we all don't have great relationships with each other. But the one thing I know for sure that my parents gave me is music appreciation and they exposed me to great music and they never judged me for liking anything. And so I think that's why I'm able to have this diverse taste. Um, so Jethro Tull is the like open the door opening to my teenage years. Um, I was raised on good music and I'm sorry, I, I try not to be snobby, but Jethro Tull is like the best. And like, I, um, I think they're the perfect melding of classical and rock, which I'm realizing is probably why, because I had such this huge basis in classical as a child. And then when I heard Jethro Tull, I was like, what is this? You know? And I just, I was obsessed. And, um, I, I think I tried playing the flute in like middle school and I remember someone saying, no. I think someone said, oh, Ian Anderson. I said, who? Who is this? And I learned and I was like, an elf man rocking out to rock music with a flute? Sign me up. Like, that's like totally my jam. Um, It was like totally my, it is still my core. And I saw him with my mom's boyfriend, which I, he's a fine person. I didn't really know him that well. It was totally awkward and weird, but he took me. And he was like a child of the that time period. And I went to like this balloon festival on Long Island and I was in awe and I loved it. And then I went again with a friend of ours, Jessica Lumen from Purchase in Albany. And I saw them again. And I just, I just love it. And um, their songs are raw and earthy. They're magical. It was my first taste of feeling rebellious. Like you're coming into your own voice. Everything about their sound and lyrics defined my personality, how I envisioned my life to look in the woods by the sea, dancing free, purely myself, wild and feral. That's what it was. They, <laughs> they were pagan. They were referencing pagan imagery. They were telling, they were, ha- those, there was like the epic, like rock ballads kind of like they have thick as a brick, which is like this really long, weird that I still don't think I understand, but really amazing thing. Kind of like what the Beatles did. Um, especially with the white album, which was very epic. And um, just like transformative, transporting you, making you think deeper. And I think they transition great into Tool because I think Tool is a more modern version of Jethro Tull in that way that it's like pushing the boundaries, playing with sound. I wrote Tool is my parents' divorce, losing my best friend in a car crash, hating my family, being angry all the time, and feeling strong within myself. It was facing the hard stuff, learning to change, and growing up. Um, the album that this song is off of... Oh, you know what? I'm going to backtrack. Um, the Jethro Tull song I chose was mm-hmm. With You There to Help Me. It's off the album Benefit. I chose it. I love all their songs, but I chose that song because to me, the song was about your real tribe, the people that you're closest to who love you, and leaning on them no matter what. And I've always leaned on that song as comfort to me because I always have, it was just this very like strong, being strong in yourself type sound and lyrics that made me feel no matter what I have people who know me and believe in me. Uh, The Tool song, and I'm kind of talking about them like linked a little because I think they are related and energetically, but um, Tool, this song is off of Enema. It was the first Tool album I ever bought. It's 46 and 2. It's a great song. I mean, every song on that album is amazing, but that song stands out to me. Um, I remember learning the lyrics and feeling like I had a secret that only my closest friends knew. Um, the song is about your shadow. 
um, your dark parts, self-destruction, but surviving anyway, being brave enough to change and grow, metamorphosis. It's a huge catharsis knowing that darkness is a part of life, not shying away from it and utilizing it. I'd say it was my honesty, my self-preservation, my rage. Where am I? I'm in the car at night, in the studio at some ungodly hour, on my bed in the dark, being goth all the time at the highest volume, inundating me with sound. It's just, it's teenage years to a T. And um, listening to Tool then is a very different experience listening to it now. Um, but then in that like place I was, it was like, I mean, even that album was so edgy. The way it looked, the imagery was totally inappropriate. And when you, when I say inappropriate, I mean, you buy that, your parents see it and they're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, good. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember buying it and feeling like, like I said, you have the secret and it's yours and the people you know, and your parents have nothing to do with it and they'll never understand. You know, it's just totally represents yeah. that. And you And you want that like strong repulsion from them. You're like, yeah. good. I'm on the right you want, track. You're you want the parental, yeah. You want the parental advisory sticker. Fact, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think the parental advisory sticker is on there for sales because teenagers everywhere will always buy it, and um, because of that. And I remember, I remember buying it and how liberating it felt to open it up and be like, ha, you know, like I just, I loved it. Um, and the artistry was amazing. So change of pace while (laughs) (laughs) um sorry we know what's coming up you don't this is is hilarious um but wildflowers by tom petty and again (laughs) like tom petty look at my early music it totally makes sense it's folk it's my family raised me on it it's tom petty now the reason why this song came up was it's an early love affair it wasn't an affair but it was like a love interest it was like that courtship and i found myself writing about this guy, um, all good memories. I've had so many bad relationships and hard things happen, but this is a solidly good memory. We never got together. We never dated, but we courted oh, each other. Unrequited love. Unrequited love. And it was beautiful. That is and teenage. That is teenage dumb to a T. It's wonderful. And um, we met at Trader Joe's on Long Island. Woot, woot. And um, he had... I'm not going to say his name, but like, you know who you are if you're listening. Um, It was, you know, just, I think he'd remember it fondly too. It was like, we were interested in each other. Um, He had all these tattoos. A lot of them he designed himself. Why would you tell his name? I don't know. Robbie. Robbie. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he, um, he was the one who got me into typo negative. I have like, a thing for guys and hard rock it's just <laughs> and like tattoos and like they're bad i like the bad tattooed hard rock guys and like i've always loved that and he like but he also sent me a tom petty song over aim and he was really he was really into the misfits and um so we like we kind of like danced around each other in that early time i think he was he had there was another relationship going on so it was very respectful there was never any untoward things happening yep we were like friends and we were interested and then when i went to college um we were still we would chat late at night on aim and like i think i would save like i would save the conversations and print them out like it was like i remember that i remember that era of yep the and AOL you hear the messenger. sound and then yeah and then coming in the, the door opening like it's just so only our wow. generation could understand this it's really beautiful and my name 
for posterity was Ocean Jesse 4. Anyone who knows me remembers talking to me on there from that year or that era. He was Misfits Baby. And we would chat on there. And I remember him uh, sending me this song. And he was so respectful to me and like honest with me about how, because at first we weren't sure and he let me know he was going to try it again with this person. And he was totally honest with me about it. He wrote to me a little bit and I wrote to him. He sent me drawings he did. And they were like cute, gothy, like edgy drawings that were so funny. And like, um, and then I would send him, I sent him my little worry bugs. I used to make these little funny bugs out of clay that had like big googly eyes and funny antennas. And I sent him one and I like was just, I still have the letters and I was reading it and he was like writing about, I love the worry bug. And it was just so funny. And he let me know that it wasn't happening at that point, but we were, he loved being my friend. And it was, I love that he was so honest, but he sent me this, um, he sent me this like song and the lyrics are so beautiful. And it was, I realized when I was writing about it and reflecting about it, that song became my secret wish for how I want to be loved. Mm-hmm. It's my it's my goal. That song is um, like how I want love to feel. Um, so interesting. I have an unrequited love connection to that song as well. But it was yeah. like the guy that I really wanted said that that song represented my best friend because he like really loved her and wanted to date her. And I was just like, fuck you. God, the energy of this era we're talking about. So it's just so it's painful to talk about, but it's like, you can laugh about it too, because oh, you think about totally. it and you're in the haze of hormones. It's like definitely a haze. So I wrote, this is how I always wanted to be loved. It's always been a secret goal for someone to love me like this song. Well, it's no secret now. Um, and so, yeah, we exchanged letters. We, we flirted, um, and then it faded, but it was fine. But I, I like, I remember him fondly as someone who treated me well. Mm. And that, um, and that was a really good love experience, simple, <laughs> very innocent, um, never mm. really fully formed, but very genuine love experience. And um, it's a reminder of the good men who have loved me. And uh, yeah, actually, yeah. that's so beautiful because I just realized that the Erica Badu certainly is very much frustrated at men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this Tom Petty is almost like the, the kind, sweethearted man responding back going, yes, I set you free. Like I yeah. never wanted to possess you anyway. You, you belong among the wildflowers. Yeah. And, but to me, like, I don't want to be possessed, but I want to be like, you know, I want that groundedness. You want to be wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, and yeah, he loved me well and sweetly. So yeah, that's, the the gamut of teenage years hard rock rage anger and love (laughs) (laughs) fantastic yes so we are moving now into what we said young adulthood we were which is an interesting time and it was hard for us to with talking about age and talking about you know yeah we needed something in between like contemporary and like teenage dumb felt like enough far enough away that that was easy to encapsulate but like there is this kind of ambiguous gray zone between who we are in our 20s and 30s so Mm -hmm. like yeah i'm glad we just decided to call it young adult yeah because that's an interesting time you know it's like you're starting to phase out of that like hormonal insanity it's still there but you're kind of evening you're pick, out you're picking up the big tools in you're life picking up going, the big okay, tools. 
what do I want to do with this big tool? Right. <laughs> well, Sorry. there's so Sorry. many meanings to what you just said. <laughs> well done. <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> And I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, um, we knew that we needed to have Doofus, the artists, in there because I don't know about you, but for me, they are they are the real the real deal. Like if you think about musicians as artists, and if you think about um, a young person going into art school, your whole goal is to be a real artist and they were the real fucking deal i mean shout out to seth for yeah and just like also like the kind of mythology that comes with an incredibly powerful artistic band that's like into performance art um because it was a college band, there was like people oscillating in and out of that who are really well known now, like Regina Spector. Oh, and I mean, really, she was a part of that. Yeah, and I didn't know that. Like for me, Seth is a celebrity, yeah. and he might not be as big of a celebrity as Regina Spector, but he's of that same ilk to I me. Agree. And for you and me, that was like. That was the methodology to get us out of our room, to get us into absolute chaotic whirlwind artistry participation mode. So Doofus, to me, is participate with us. You are not just a pleb in the audience listening to music. You are singing. You are playing. You are interacting. The art came to you. Like They had these huge puppets. Um <laughs> Shout out to the so crew great. that made those huge puppets. Um, yeah. word, words fail me right now. I'm really sorry. Um, but yeah, there, it was like a whole production around a doofus show. There was a thematic for the night. Sometimes they like brought huge skeins of yarn and like the whole place would be like a sculptural maze by the end of the show. I remember that. Yeah. Other times it was, you know, like things falling out of the sky or like these huge puppets and like um, handheld um, flowers and, and, you know, huge, huge um, paper, paper machete type paper mache. Probably. Mm-hmm. I love how my words are getting less and less sensical the more I talk about Dupas. I mean, that's fitting though, isn't it? Yeah. They're pure emotion, they're sensory experience. And they were like it was like a it was a like a it was before I even knew what cognitive behavioral therapy was. Mm. They were them. It's a hook. I hear this opening of that song um that I put in there. Um, you know, and it's just like everything about it like immediately switched us into like a live mode and we were like ready to be part of something, a movement. I remember us going to that and it being like, I need to go to this show. I just mm-hmm. remember it being like, I have to go. It was a way of mm-hmm. like processing what was going on. It was like a break and it was like a way of letting things out. I, it was just crazy dancing, just tons of dancing, just a lot of and, processing. And, You're yeah. Right. And you never had to worry about feeling weird in that group because everyone was doing it. When you, anyone who went, new and so it didn't matter i miss that like the reckless abandon of just letting your face muscles do whatever it wants to do while you listen to a song and sing in a really loud crazy Mm -hmm. way and let your fingers like turn into creatures and like your whole body contort you know you grow up and like everything in you tells you to like not behave ridiculously in public right 
Right. And that just flies in the face of it. Yeah. And they also had this great balance of childhood bliss, like embracing that part and also being really mad at the status quo. It was definitely a similar in the vein of what we were just talking about, anger and commentary. A lot of messages, a lot of social commentary, a lot of messages in Doofus, like everything. A lot of like rage. More, the more girl cops, less cops. Oh, like, it was good. Yeah. Talk about a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember Regina Spector's line around um, what cemeteries are just a crop of names. I and I was like, that was her. You're blowing my mind. Cause I didn't know. I was like, Oh my God. Like this is, this is, you know, the new Bob Dylan this is the new Billy Joel. These are the people who are writing. Yes. For the <clears throat> times, for the times. As I was just thinking it's a, it's like folk and modernity. It's like that time period. It's like the new version. That's perfect. It was like the new voice for our generation and where we were at at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that you chose um, a Jose Gonzalez song as well, because that, you know, if if I think about young adulthood, there is like kind of a dark mystery Mm -hmm. to it all. And so I chose a song that really encapsulates dark mystery to me. And it's Train Song by Eliza McCarthy. Mm. Um, And she's just this incredible Irish singer. And for me, I really needed to shout out to like ancestry. Like I feel deeply connected to Ireland as like a motherland and what Ireland symbolizes to me is like mystery and ancient introspective cultures. Uh, And as a young adult, you're kind of reckoning with all the curiosity of your former years, but with like an added weight so I really like songs that speak to those internal struggles. And again, um, it's a song about an internal struggle with love. You know, she says she's been found out. What's my lover going to do? And um, <clears throat> so that, that kind of still carries with me in this era as well, where I'm just like, I love love, but I'm just still not getting it right. Um, and yet I am getting it right because I just fucking nailed love. I That's the thing that I want to go back and tell little Rudo is like, you nailed it. You're not, you're not bad at this. You're actually the best at this. <laughs> it's amazing. And then I had to have black Alicious because black Alicious to me, you know, from the time that I was maybe 15 until now, they are foundational to me. And again, I'm like, I'm really, really wanting to say because of the air that we are in, it is not without an added weightiness that I recognize mm-hmm. that a huge part of my identity comes from black culture and recognizing that there is so much that has been stolen from indigenous cultures and from colonized cultures. So I, it is not without extreme privilege and extreme honor that I say that black delicious are foundational, pivotal artists for me. Uh, so it's um, for anyone not who's not familiar with Black Delicious, they are a duo act, mm-hmm. um, and I believe um, Gift of Gab recently died. Mm-hmm. Um, rest in power, my beloved. He was like the most incredible lyricist. He wrote in a way that was both physically impossible. Like I remember pouring over his lyrics and trying to to rap along with him. And there there are times when you you cannot do it. You just can't. But also he was so intelligent. You know, he was writing to the um, periodic table 
and creating like a whole new standard of improvisational rap. (laughs) So I had to have Blackalicious in, in here, but also, um, that, that phrase searching, it's so perfect for this young adult era. We're searching for a sense of ourselves, who, who, how we're going to lead ourselves into the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and for me, poetry and collaboration are a huge part of how I got through. Mm-hmm. So Blackalicious, their albums are incredibly collaborative. They bring in people from, from the literature community, from, uh, and they pull from resources that are from all over the place, which I mean, sampling is like a really big part of hip hop. But I mean, these guys were just perfection. Chief XL was like the most incredible DJ I've ever come across. And the references that they would, I would just remember being blown away by who they would work with, what content they would bring into their album. And so like Nia is such an incredible album, but also that's that, that track searching um, might be another Nikki Giovanni or just another, um, incredible female voice in there. Um, sorry, I should know this because we're talking about it, but, um, the, the era of young adulthood would not be complete for me if I didn't talk about Blackalicious. Yeah. You were the one who showed me Blackalicious and listening to them now is even more intense in the state of the world. It's really good, really unique. And I can't speak of it with as much um, knowledge as you because I've only had short experiences with them, but they are very life-changing. The one album, Blazing Arrow, that you turned me on to mm-hmm. is one that I still listen to in its entirety from start to finish. I'm showing it to my students. I think it's just really empowering, really raw, beautiful artistry. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I have trouble articulating how I feel about it, but it gets me through hard times for sure. Yeah, positive hip-hop. Pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, really important. Um, yeah. That, oh, yeah. Your turn. Your turn your to encapsula- talk about young adult. <laughs> yeah. Your encapsulation of young adulthood was really pretty cool. For me, everything that I chose landed me in my time in Ireland, which was kind of interesting being that you were speaking of Ireland and an Irish artist ended up in yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my young adulthood and my that true ch- shift in gears and maturity happened there. I think... Ireland raised me. The spirit of that place raised me. I had some great friends, but it was really my relationship with that land that, I mean, it's part of the artwork that I'm making now. Um, it, I miss it all the time. Um, it was this transition from partying and constant adventure to self-care and this interior exploration and groundedness in myself. It was finding my identity. So the first song I chose was Dandy Warhol's song. I recently remembered them. Like I, I went through this phase of listening to all of their stuff and I totally found them in Ireland. I don't know what it is about Ireland, but they get the people I met got obsessed with certain things. And like, for example, they listened to the group of people I was friends with all listened to sublime nonstop. It'd be like at a party. Everyone's totally lost their minds and like sublime is on. And so is and like Dandy Warhol's was on. And like, um, They were, so this song I wrote, I'm in the car with my ex that I was dating in Ireland, driving over the hills or at some party and everyone's out of their minds in a good fun way. And this band is just pure fun. Like it doesn't have this like dark, deep meaning to it. It's just like good rock. It's not, I mean, you can read into it if you want, but it's just like, 
nice. You know, I really want to see them live. They, they're just wonderful energy. Um, I did kind of like this song because to me, it, I interpreted it as a little bit of like making fun of people who are pretentious and too cool for other people. And I dig that. So I always was like, I liked that little um, elitist dig. Like, I don't know if that's what they're going for, but that's how I took it. And I don't know, in Ireland, that's kind of a thing, understandably. Um, so it was like fun, joyful partying and in my own element with friends I made myself in, a, in like a land that I kind of chose to be in for a while. And then um, the next two are quieter um, and definitely introspective. So Jose Gonzalez, I found out about that time. Um, Deadweight on Velveteen, I just chose, I remember listening to this song sitting by myself on my headphones in the um, bay at night in the t- small town in Ireland I was living in. Um, I think the music appreciation culture in Ireland, it felt very familiar to me. I, I was around people who loved listening to things over and over again without judgment. And I don't know if it's cultural, if it was just the folks I knew at the time, but it felt like people got it that like obsessive. Yeah, that's so good. And like, um, I remember telling, I think it was an older guy in the bar, like Jose Gonzalez, I just found this guy. And he's like, I know, right. It's so good. You won't be able to stop listening to it. And usually people don't say that in the States. Not most people you would, but like not most people. And so like, it was this, it was just random person. And he just, he was like some friend I talked to sometimes. And I was like, yes, like he, Jose Gonzalez is, um, he makes you go inside and think and calm down and ground. And I remember he, him a bit aligning with an ex of mine passing away um, and what that meant. Eras of my life were dying. That mad manic energy was fading out and I was getting in tune with myself. I think Jose, Jose Gonzalez is good for that. And he's still making pretty amazing things. I've, I've been keeping up with what he's making and he's great. Um, so yeah, soul searching time, learning about myself. At that time, I was also trying to sell my paintings on the street. So I had like, I'd be sitting on the street and I had all these like landscape paintings. And I think I sold one or two. It was like this terrifying, liberating thing to do. And I was making healthier choices. I was like, I wasn't, I stopped drinking and I had been smoking a little. I stopped smoking and it was this transition period. And then I'll fade into um, a soundtrack piece from the Elder Scrolls um, Oblivion game. Um, I was graduated from college. I was living in Ireland. I had a BFA. I was working in a wine bar (laughs) at night, making barely any money, living in my ex's parents' house. And I was like, what next? And I didn't know. I wasn't feeling too great about my future. I didn't know what I wanted it to be. I didn't know what my future was with that person. Mm. And during the day, I'd wake up. I wouldn't leave bed. He had an Xbox and I got into this game. I'd wake up, I'd turn it on and I'd play it until around five. And then I'd get ready and go to my job, come home, play it until I fall asleep and then wake up and do it all again. And I did it for a good few months. It was kind of a dark period. However, um, it was helpful. So I hadn't gotten into video games since I was a kid. I played some games, um, point and click games that I loved that were immersive, but this one was really immersive. It was open world. The music was beautiful. I'd fall asleep to it because anyone who plays video games knows you're on the game, you have your controller and you fall asleep with the controller in your hand and the music just keeps going over and over. And Jeremy Soule is an amazing artist. His music is great. 
I play it in my classroom sometimes because it's just a nice thing to have on in the background. But for me, this piece through the valleys is like what would play when you'd be literally going through the valleys. You'd be on your horse or you'd be in town walking around and like you're exploring this beautiful land. The landscape was similar to Ireland's landscape. I remember being in the bar, hanging out, closing my eyes, and I could see. I knew I was in deep by that. I was like, is this healthy? I like closed my eyes and I could see the like computer landscape, like undulating into the distance. It was a really interesting time. But um, it gave me a certain amount of power, fighting monsters, collecting herbs, building my character. I still play it sometimes. And I play the Elder Scrolls online with deep mm. love. Mm. Um, this piece just played, like I said, when you traverse the landscape. Um, couldn't wait to go home, get in bed and turn it on. Mm. It was my world that year. And I'd argue video games can save lives for this reason. Sometimes you need to escape to find yourself. Mm. This song is also my alarm and I wake up to it every day. <laughs> so um, it was like my figuring out time. What do I want to do? And shortly after that era, I moved back to the States and a whole other era started. But it was like that middle place where I was trying to figure out what happened next. Yeah, that's a young adulthood day. Yeah, that middle place when you're testing out what you want to do. Yeah, it's like nice but scary. Mm. I remember it fondly because it was it was a better. I felt like it was a more. It wasn't as chaotic. My my teenage years were hard. Mm -hmm. So that's our young adulthood. Yeah, we're now now. <laughs> yeah, was did you? Looking back on the list that we got, do you feel like there was anything missing from our youth that we that you didn't get in? Well, I mean, probably. I I was interested that I didn't put any CSNY because that mm -hmm. was something that Yumi and Dave was our group at that time. It was like yeah. who we were around all the time. But I liked that it didn't. Feels more personal. Feels more like if we're going to do that, let's just play it. Just like stop playing music right now. Let's pick up a guitar and play it. Yeah, I, I think that we both went into our own worlds for this one, which I think is good. I mean, these were my personal deep things that I loved. That was something we shared as a group. These were things that were like really instiller to me. And I learned new things about you from it. Um, I don't know if you learned new things about me, but um, it was definitely a different perspective because we were sharing music with each other all the time. But what did we really love in our heart of hearts and our deepest selves? These are the things that I chose. Yeah. So I feel good about my choices. Awesome. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, there's a few kind of um, like I didn't get any jazz singers in there mm. and I didn't get um, the Indigo Girls. Mm. Um, so but I feel like the the point that we're trying to make with some of these tracks are around kind of monumentous or um, potentially shifting or transportive moments. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, moving into the now. Mm hmm. <laughs> was very challenging. Yeah. Because I think both of us are really, really eclective, eclectic music listeners. So like, and I think that what we've come to realize is that for us, songs are something you play on repeat over and over and over again to either get you through or to um, carry on a vibe. Um, but then for every, because our lives are so full now, like certain songs are needed for certain situations. So like, how right. do you narrow that down? So for me, what I wanted to do was narrow down the fact that a huge factor of who I am now is I am a New Zealander. Mm. 
So I chose three songs, all New Zealand artists. Mm. And they are, I think, foundational representatives of this nation, but also the the song that I chose encapsulates um, transformative moments in time. Uh, so uh, the Tikitane song, Tangaroa, when I first experienced this album, because I came to New Zealand in 2006, this album came out in 2007. I mean, I came in like the end of 2006. So by the time 2007 rolled around, I was ready to explore this new place. I'd gotten a one-year working holiday visa and I was ready to explore and ready to party. And these all of these albums came out. And so there was live music everywhere. Festivals were off the hook. And I don't know if anyone can understand the difference between a musical festival inside of a beach island, oceanic, like tropical nation is not the same thing at all as any other kind of music festival. So there's that this, sounds amazing. There's this one of a kind music festival in Aotearoa, New Zealand called Splore Festival. It's um, a multi-day music festival inside of a national park on one of the most beautiful coastlines. Um, so it's like, it's got ocean, it's got, you know, these kinds of like undulating tree pathways to get you down to the ocean. It's just like one of the most beautiful things in my entire life was sitting on a huge hill, watching the sunset on the ocean with the soundstage right in front of you, like mere meters away from the water itself. And listening to this, so Tikitane is a Maori performing artist and he um, is to me like part of a uh, an indigenous revitalization, like the renaissance of Maori culture has been such an honor to witness here. And he infused, because he's like a dub drum and bass artist and like a DJ, and he infused his own culture into that. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. I mean, now we have like some really pivotal examples, like Tribe Called Red does this with their like you know, First Nations chants and they're all of their like songs and they have people come out in fancy dress. And like, so like the world of drum and bass and electronica infusing into indigenous nations is like sort of understandable now, but then it was like, wait, what? So these guys are doing their, like, like in the Polynesian tradition, there's like the traditional song and dances. And he was doing a haka in his set and he had like a full on kapahaka band in the performance. And I was like, I am deeply, deeply moved by, you know, cultural performances like this. Uh, there's so much magic and there's so much power that comes with this, like these ancestral ceremonies and Tangaroa is the God of the sea. Um, so he's singing about, this is like a man from an Island nation, you know, singing about the ocean and the god of the ocean. And this is everything to me. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God. Wow. And then the second song, um, so there's a there's an art uh, uh, a band called Shapeshifter. And I mean, that word to me is very, very special. And then I come to New Zealand and realize that there's a very talented um kind of multi-instrumental drum and bass band called Shapeshifter with like the voice of a fucking angel this man's voice is resonant deep melodic uh 
powerful, gut-wrenchingly powerful. Like he is so good. And the and the song Bring Change, that's that's like an anthem. That's a that's a rise to action. That is a call to action that I have always been able to get behind. Mm-hmm. And it won song of the year and won album of the year in 2006. So like these I just find it very interesting that some of my most favorite musicians we're releasing really pivotal, really life-changing albums at the time that I came to New Zealand. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to like <laughs> mix myself up <laughs> into the, the amazingness of this movement, but I am blown away that all of this was happening at the same time as me it, coming there. It's no coincidence. It's It makes sense. <laughs> I heard their call. <laughs> you did. I mean, this stuff's real. I, I was always floored by like the art the traditional artwork in New Zealand, how similar it was to what you'd been making all those years of purchase. It just mm. was so uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it was just referencing it. And I don't even know if you knew it, that it was, but it was. Um, I would get really like freaked out when I would like doodle and draw and then like go to the library and find like a book on Pacific um, right. First Nations in California and in Canada. But like, Maori art, I was not aware of. Like Polynesian art, I was less aware of. And I think it was just kind of commercialized a little bit. So I didn't really dig deep. And then, yeah, coming here, seeing the trees are the same trees that I've been drawing my whole life, the Potsakawa trees, and also um, the line work. And just like, I've just felt so at home here. And fits, yeah. So I know I'm laughing at myself because I'm, you know, like trying to link myself to these like huge um, award-winning artists, um, (laughs) which is so funny because the last track that I chose is called Don't You Know Who I Am, which really is like this great kind of egoic fight. Like I am a god. I am. Do not fuck with me. But also like who the fuck am I? (laughs) You're Rudo and you're showing your work in space. (laughs) So this is an, a, a song called Reb Fountain, and she's she's an artist that is – I just love her name, first off, Reb Fountain. Anyways, um, I've seen her live at Splore as well. And for me, the reason I chose her was not only that this song is so sultry and so dark and delicious, but when I saw her. When you think of an artist that has stage presence, multiply it by a thousand, and you have Reb Fountain. Like, she's a witch. She bends the atmosphere when she's on stage. Wow. And so I just remember like being pulled into her net and watching her and getting closer and closer to her. And like, until I was like nose kiss level to the stage and just like watching this seaweed like witch enchant us all with her voice and her performance so like, again, like from the top of the thing, I'm talking about channeling music with Wynton Marcellus and the bottom, I am talking about a woman who channeled all of us. Like she completely owns the stage and owns every single person who is an earshot of her. Um, so, and, and just God bless musicians because that is, that is a power. That is unbelievably beautiful that we get to have these pieces of art Mm -hmm. in music form, but also to be able to experience them in concert and have this extra layer of, we are now woven into it. We are now the fabric of this moment because we're present. Yeah, that's, 
exactly the stuff I'm going to be talking about. Go for it. Um, uh, fair warning. Uh, while you were talking, I made a last minute change. And so there's going to be a shift on our playlist. Um, I made a what? It's going to be fine. It'll fit fine. I promise. Um, I I just realized I had to change something. Yeah. So, um, tell me about what just happened. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So, so, uh, first of all, um, now is a, uh, deep change. I'm in the middle of metamorphosis. Um, I'm in a, I went through a huge life change. Um, not to mention a huge worldwide pandemic as everyone has, but it was like countered with basically a divorce from, um, a 10 year relationship. And I've been going to a lot of live music for the first time in a really long time. And, uh, the three songs I chose, like, I can't, nothing's culminated. It's not like an end. It's where I'm at now in the whirlwind of my life. And the things that came up, two of them, so Lord Huron, who I just saw live, I went by myself, which was really fun and really great. And um, Lord Huron is someone recent that I've gotten really obsessed with. And just, I listened to all, all their albums and I bought, I have two on vinyl and they're just um, wonderful. And then I saw Tool live for the first time that I wanted, I wanted to see them live since I was like, what, 15, however old I was. And um, that was life-changing. And what you were talking about becoming the fabric of the experience um, it's like those things you experience as a younger person, you don't understand quite what you're a part of, but you know, it's something important. Now I have words to describe it. Um, and there are other artists that talk about this and there are other artists that are, that are, they are artists. I mean, musicians are artists and they're creating an immersive experience and that's their intention. And it kind of like blew my mind when I realized that's what they're doing. I know that sounds silly. Maybe everyone already always knew this, but I don't think I did. When I saw, um, Lord Huron on my own. Lord Huron, they're a part of my liberation and grief over the last few years. They know how to write about loss. They know how to write about um, to cultivate adventure. And that's me right now. I'm on an adventure. I'm mourning loss. I'm writing a new chapter that is purely me because I feel clear on who I am more than ever. I saw Lord Huron live by myself in a city I chose to move to on my own in his performance of this song. And it's funny, like, you know, when you like know a whole album, but you don't latch on to a song but you see it live and you do. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but this one song, I never really paid attention to it before. And the thing about his performance, and I told you about this, is it was color themed. So like the beginning was like cool blues and purples, and then it shifted to red and everything was red. And he came up out of the stage and he had a like a skeleton mask on. And the name of the song is The World Ender. And it's haunting and it's like catchy and it's fun, but it's dark. And it's like about um, someone who died and lost their family. And it's like, but he's coming back from the dead. It's just like really fun, but like dark, but like wild. And it's how I feel. And um, whenever I hear it, I see him on stage in that mask coming up out of the stage. I'm just like, yes. Um, it's very atmospheric. So many moments and layers. Whenever I listen to them, I feel like I'm transported multiple times throughout the process. A lot of times their albums follow a trajectory and they're a story. They have different feelings. They're very, like I said, atmospheric. And it's a great balance of where I'm at. Edgy and dark, but fun. So, and also being there alone, which felt really good. You get to experience it on your own. I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've ever been to a musical concert by myself. That's so fucking badass. It was fun. And like, I just didn't care 
and I just danced and loved it. And un- unfortunately, I, I tried to ride out the rain. It was raining at that one. It was an outdoor concert. It was great at first. It was magical. And it got too wet. And I was like, I think I'm going to go. But I made it for most of it. It was great. Um, so yeah, the world under. So fitting. The world has ended in its rebirthing. My world ended in its rebirthing. And that song fits. Um, the next song is uh, Full Circle Back to Tool. Um, ironically, not from his newest album, which he made right be- they made they made right before the pandemic. Um, it's one of his earlier songs, Opiate. Opiate. I think it's how you say it. And honestly, like my, most of my young experience with Tool was that Enema album. That was like the one I listened to all the time. And I heard other songs, but I didn't like get immersed in albums. And they recently re-released the song. They played it. It was like another version of it. And they played it at the concert. And by the way, that concert changed my life. Um, It was otherworldly. It was epic. It was magical. It was cathartic. It was like all of my teenage years released. It was almost like a healing experience because I was and being in that room with all those people who knew it, I felt like I was in my age group. When when he when they came on stage, everyone stood up. It was just this like it was like church, but not like it was like a it was a really epic experience. Um, I chose this song because it's, but I decided not to end my whole thing with it. Um, it's a very angry song, and it's how I feel. I'm angry. I feel like religion is. Um, taking over in a way that's repressing us. It's people blindly following things without really looking into what they mean. Um, it's about being um, numbed out. It's an opioid. It's about drug being drugged by whatever it is, your cults, your belief system. Um, I've been in many ways um, liberated, but also facing up against re- like so much silencing and um invalidation and censorship of artwork and just things that yeah. uh, really enrage me on a different level, maybe not as chaotic as the teenage rage, but still the same roots. And the the words of that song are so meaningful. They're so sarcastic and scathing and true. And I listen to it a lot in the car. <laughs> and it just um, is my truth right now. And I love that I can re-enter the world of tool with new understandings um in a more um thoughtful way and that it's a whole other experience now because i'm into other parts of his of their music and experiencing other um iterations of their songs and seeing it live gave it more meaning and um so that song is where i'm at in terms of what it's like being in the real world right now (laughs) or the not real world the like the like hard reality, the hard realities, I suppose, of the world. Um, and yeah. my final song, I, I had this other like new band that I thought was cool, but I don't know anything about them. And I, they're fine, but the Fleet Foxes is my final song. And I don't know why I didn't choose them. Um, the Fleet Foxes is where I'm at right now. The Fleet Foxes, I've, I've loved them for years, a really long what time. What are they up to right now? They're touring right now. And I, <gasps> want, yeah, and I really wanted to see them. They're playing in Brooklyn in a few months, but I just don't think I can make that trip. Um, but uh, with I saw gas them in prices, New Zealand. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. Like, I need to see them. It's not the time yet. But so there's a story with this, though, and it, it makes sense to end on this note because the Fleet Foxes are magical. You know, they're magical. They're channelers. They're, um, they're mystical. They're, they're the voice of nature. They're unbelievable. And 
when the pandemic hit, when New York shut down, Robin Peckholds um, recorded an acoustic album in a church in Brooklyn by himself, um, like distant, not with the other guys, just by himself. And he released the version of it on YouTube last winter on the solstice. And I, I played it in my classroom because it was the solstice that day. And it encapsulated what we were all feeling. It was him without the band distanced. And his voice is so aching and beautiful and um, mournful and gorgeous. It was anyway, but it was him alone in a church surrounded by candles. And then they released a vinyl album that finally came a few days ago that I pre-ordered and of that recording. And it's called A Very Lonely Solstice. And the album cover is black. It's like him in the church, just candles around him. And then you pull out the record and it's golden. It's yellow. And it's like golden and um, milky and like sunlight. And it just comes out of the case. And his oh voice. Oh my God. And his voice fills the room. And I listened to it all winter in the dark as I was healing and his breathing. voice does fill the room. And it was everything I'd been through from lockdown to now. And it's an example of like a record is an object, a talisman of magic with a story and an energy. He was reflecting on what it meant to not be able to sing with his friends. Like, I don't know if that's exactly what he was doing, but to me, like it was like him alone singing into the darkness. There's like this part of the filming where he has a choir. They're all wearing masks and they're standing in the um, church singing. And they are the ones you hear in the song I've included, which is Waiting in Waste High Water. And there's something about the song. It's haunting. It's about love, but it's like the pain of love the good things and the bad things it's um i'm getting emotional talking about it and this is how my my song should end because this fleet foxes is my childhood they totally call to that part their softness their gentleness their nature they're the woods they're like our human animal core they're they're just really beautiful i'm so glad they're in the world and that album is magic it's like i feel like i have a magic object in my apartment it's just glowing and it's all about the human experience and what we just went through as a collective and i just think he touched me very deeply and i listened to it and i am surrounded in golden light it's just the most magical thing so yes that is where i'm at it's like that grief that um that connection with artistry as a portal as a connector as like empowerment me understanding music on this deeper level as an artist um, and how essentially when we're making art, we're collaborating with them because a lot of the time we're listening to these people while we're making art. It's this deep, beautiful collective consciousness collaboration that we have just gone through this whole time, like talking about the things we were doing, the things we, you and me were creating when we were listening to these things and all these phases of our lives. Um, it's deep, energetic collaboration. And I'm endlessly grateful to all of these artists. I don't know them, any of them, but I feel like I do because they're a part of my soul. <laughs> um, so that's what this experience made me understand. Mm. Thank you for this collaborative show and this collaborative playlist that I mm -hmm. think encapsulates so much. Me too. Feels good. It does.
Thank you for doing this recording. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. And like Pixie said, we do have the playlist link for you, which can be found on our show notes for this episode. And I just wanted to also shout out that we um, were lucky enough to have a musician friend of Pixie's who created our um, podcast theme music, Whimsical Aliens, and that's Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York. In our next episode, I'll just give a little note. Um, We're going to be reflecting on movies and film. Um, We invite you to consider what thematics are present in a collection of your favorite movies, and we'll share ours. So until next time. time. Yeah. See you then. See ya. Bye.